This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is If I Would Have Only Known, a candid conversation with leaders. In this series, we discuss brigade combat team warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, how you doing? Uh, Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and uh, super fortunate today uh, to get to have uh, Colonel uh, Teddy Kleisner uh, Devil Six in the flesh, uh, the commander for First Brigade uh, 82nd. And uh, so, you know, thanks for joining us today. And so, you know, from introductions up front, um, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about where you're from and your background in the Army. Sure. Yeah. Um, I currently command First Brigade 82nd. Um, and I've been in command for about 18 months. So I'm blessed to actually be getting the second rep here at the JRTC, the first one. Um, so I'm at LTP now. I, we went to LTP three days after I assumed command, right? And so I, you know, I was like, you know, wired. Um, so it's great to come back a second time. It'll be even better to come back into the box as the the, the rotational unit a second time. Uh, there's enough of us, particularly the commanders, that are getting the second rep in, and so that's a, it's a very compelling thing to come back here and, and hope to fix a lot of the stuff that really mattered last time. Awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, the other one that's great about this is the last time that you and I saw each other uh, was at um, Hamid Karzai International Airport in that's Afghanistan right. uh, a year ago this month, yep. um, doing doing difficult things on behalf of yeah. the nation. And as, as you and I spoke there about, um, you know, you did the March 21 rotation here at JRTC, mm -hmm. uh, 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain, who I was serving with at the time, did the April uh, 2021. And I think, you know, we both, uh, found that experience in Afghanistan, um, pretty challenging, uh, based on some conversations, yeah. but, but uh, a lot like a CTC rotation, a lot like a CTC <laughs> yeah. rotation. And so, um, you know, obviously a, a tragic event, mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways and, and the loss of, uh, 13 Americans and, and a lot of Afghans as well. Uh, but, um, you know, for us, a, a lot of lessons learned and, and really reinforced a lot of things that we had learned here at the Joint Readiness Training Center. So um, up up front, you know, what I'd ask is you're back for a leader training program, LTP. Uh, what, you know, how did your previous experience with LTP, uh, previous rotation, the time in Afghanistan and, and living the life of the GRF at um at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, how did that affect you and shape you coming in for uh, maximizing LTP? Sure, yeah. Um, one of the things that's probably the most important thing that framed my approach to the second LTP is, is even though it's my second LTP, we are, we're actually on our third generation of, of the Devil Brigade staff, right? So as much as I want to take three leaps forward, I'm, all, I'm probably going to only attempting to make one leap forward. Um, because so much of the LTP experience, especially since it's the summertime, and all most of our staff is brand new right now, um, is I've got to let I've got to let LTP do its thing and sort of help bake this staff into an awesome team that knows how the ops process runs. So the but the two things I showed up really focused on this time um, one is 
you'll always notice as a commander how everything's pretty clear in your head and you start communicating as you visualize, describe and direct the battle and drive the ops process. But you always pick up in the feedback loop like that wasn't what I said. <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> right. Hold on. So I picked up on that on the first day at LTP and I was like, OK, this is where I'm going to focus is even though I'm pretty comfortable with this because this is my second time, like I'm going to have to be more present um, because I want to be able to pick up on these indicators. It is things I'm visualizing and describing aren't penetrating or they're being imperfectly interpreted. Right. So that's one of the things I'm looking at. The other one's a targeting process. And we've got this super dynamo targeting warrant right now. And we st he started um, redesigning the targeting working group and decision board process um, about two months ago. And um, we basically just turned the switch on him and we're all drafting that momentum. And, and we had the coolest uh, decision board. I, the best one I've participated in is a brigade commander. Um, and I think that's going to help. And, uh, you know, for the audience out there, I mean, I think one of the cool things with Colonel Kleisner, um, time in Strikers, time in the Range Regiment, time in uh, 82nd. Right. And so, it, you know, truly living, you know, the the heavy light imperative, uh, different experiences. Right. Uh, which is really cool. Yeah. Until coming back last year, I hadn't been to the JRTC since I was a lieutenant. Was, was it, had it changed? The terrain is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, low water crossing five is still like pretty right. miserable it eats, experience. It eats units a lot, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it, that is cool, like the continuity uh, over time. I was actually here with the Devils doing a guest OCT rotation right. in 2002 as a captain. Okay. Uh, the terrain is absolutely just is not awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, it is interesting, the evolutions, the, the ways that we've gotten a lot better as an army, the areas that are still challenging because, well, they're just things that are hard right. um, going forward. So, um, yeah, your comments uh, made me laugh because, um, you know, the there's a you know, the idea that uh, communication uh, has occurred is the biggest misconception is that it's actually occurred. Right. Yeah. And uh, and it's not for a lack of trying or people that, that care. Um, but I mean, I think that's a really insightful view of, you know, you have a turnover of people, um, w which is is awesome, too, because at the end of the day, you know, JRTC is about making not just units better, but making individuals better. And, right. and you remember your experience here as a lieutenant. I remember my experience here as a captain, as a battalion commander. Um, and that really the 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 goal of JRTC is to get large scale combat operations into the DNA of our army. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you can like the term you like to use. You're, you're doing it at the industrial scare, scale here. Right? Yeah. Times two other CTCs yeah. that are spitting out prepared staffs and uh, you know I, I'm I mean I have a view having seen a, some of your majors that I got to see at the National Training Center when they were captains <laughs> um that you know what they are going to be like when their brigade commanders is unreal right um because of this experience and, and the way that we're able to imprint some of those things how, um you talked about presence uh, in terms of guidance, how, how do you give guidance to your staff? I mean, you just pull on this thread of communication. How have you found that's been most effective? Uh, I, I go by the checklists, right? And and I write it down for them, right? And you even kind of taught me this, reminded me at a minimum the other night, um, right? So we have these formats. These formats work because the whole army uses them and, and we are constantly turning people over. Like I like to just stick with the basics. Um, I, I, I'll deliver it in person when I, when I describe the commander's intent or re like um, 
read off the commander's intent. I read off the CCIR that goes with it and like in the decision point. So I'll basically read off the entire decision support matrix with the CCIR because I think they're so in integral to each other, right? The commander's intent and how the commander is going to make the decisions. Um, when you describe it that way, I think you impress upon people um, the how important it is for them to understand CCIR and that all that if and then all those indicators, like it comes from them comes from the point of contact. And so that's that's how I like to describe the guidance. And so, but what I'll often do is I'll expand and contract, like I'll work with the staff, I'll use the checklist, I'll leave it with them handwritten, but then I'll take it down to the commanders. You know, so at LTP, you walk down the hall and it simulates you driving for an hour and a half <laughs> in a dagger and maybe surviving, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say, hey, all right, you know, I'll describe it to them and then I'll, go back and of course in the process you deputize people to sort of understand your intent so that they can help be part of that feedback loop like no that's not what he meant and uh you know so one i mean you talking about writing it down i mean i think i think it's twofold i think one it helps as a commander that you're cementing in what you really mean and i find myself like writing things down and like wow that that doesn't sound very smart let me think through that again right um, and then I think likewise, it's a written record that then we can check back against as subordinates as well right. as, as the commander. It just adds time, right? So that's what I yeah. noticed the other day is I, is I really um, messed with the timeline because I took about 50 minutes to get the planning guidance for CoaDev right in my head and right on paper and get it out. Yeah. I, I would say, though, when it's part of the process and we account for it, right. then we account for it. And it's way less time than if we have to go back and do it again because right. everything that we're doing in the ops process we only have time to do once right we only have time to do it right right um and it uh, it'll be interesting because I, I i think you'll i think we'll find together here in november um he's going to be back here uh in november it's gonna be a ton of fun we'll do this again um i think it's gonna help but, you know yeah. it's like I, I told you the story of like the best brigade commander i'd seen do this uh at the national training center and uh, the senior mentor uh, at the time was like, well, you know, hey, his team, they know he wants, uh, you know, pepperoni pizza, thin crust, uh, cut into eight slices, triangles in mm -hmm. a box. And they want it, and he wants it in 30 minutes. And it was really true, mm -hmm. uh, including not just his staff, but his subordinate commanders, which yeah. I think ultimately we all appreciate. The trick is taking the habit that you, you know, if it's the habit that you want to stick with and it's what you used at LTP, you got to figure out a way to replicate it in the box under duress. And, and <laughs> duress is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> and then like really tight timelines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, so, you know, in the, in the year and change removed from your, your uh, previous, your March of uh, 2021, mm -hmm. how, how have those, um, you know, how the lessons, what'd you learn from JRTC, I guess would be the first question. And then how'd you apply that or how'd those play out uh, in the life of the brigade and in your life as a brigade commander? Good question. Let me, you know, I have a couple of knee jerk responses, but one of them is that you can't show up here without having conducted a lot of multi-echelon training. And this is what we were talking about before we started rolling cameras. This is like success at the brigade level and above is going to come from an aggregation of successes. Um, there is no one node that's going to win. There's no one leader that's going to make it all happen. No one can put a brigade in their rucksack and run with it. Right. It's everyone's everyone's got to win. And that's why it's hard. 
And so that's what I took away with last time is you can't you can't in the course of your training focus on the one, two or three key things that are going to be decisive. Like every let's just use um, an ISR and fires trigger as the example. That's a whole family tree that has to communicate and do 10,000 things right. And so if you don't put them in a training laboratory and let them test themselves, um, then it's going to be harder in combat. Um, it's going to be harder here. Um, and the trouble, I think the tough thing that we all have, the tough um, problem that we all have as brigade commanders, you had it is, you know, there's not 52 weeks in a year to do that training, right? So you have to you have to try to get as much of that multi echelon training as you can because it's an yeah you have to come here and create an aggregation of successes every day for ten straight days in, in the force on force period. Yeah, and um, and it is hard. I mean, it's hard at the company level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's been a hot minute since you and I were company commanders, but you know, being a company commander hadn't got any easier uh, than than when we were coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it gets at this idea of like repetitions, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, companies, uh, that can do that well, that can give themselves repetitions, um, that really don't underestimate how challenging it is at mm-hmm. their echelon, but also like that their success and failure really yeah. influences the battalion and the yep. brigade. Yeah. Um, you and know, this batteries, right? Right. All of them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in staffs, you know, staffs are crews, right? And what's yeah. the depth chart in the staff? Um, you know, when I came through here as a battalion commander, I, I got to fight with my uh, my S1 section being led by a specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the S1 and the S1 NCOC, by happenstance, the five jump injuries, uh, they were two of them. Oh, wow. Uh, which ended up being awesome. I mean, the specialist, you know, not, not shocking, uh, punched well above his weight, hit the slide hard. Um, but I think part of it was the, the, the multi, the reps at multi echelon training that we'd been fortunate to have before common, um, prepared him for that. Um, it, you know, we, we really, you know, I think folks in, in our seats, like the, for the young people out there, we're relying on you and the reps that you get and the ability yeah. to really get multiple repetitions. And this is how we've been saying it in our brigade. There's a quid pro quo. And this is this answers this is another answer to your question about, you know, how do we get from the last brigade, the last uh, JRTC rotation to combat to back to the JRTC? The quid pro quo in our brigade that I keep saying is you, the company battery and troop level leaders, you learn to win at the point of contact, right? If you can train to win at the point of contact, and I'm part of that, I, I give them the reps, right? I will make sure that the battalion staffs and the brigade staff understand how to do their job, how to win in transitions, how to win at ISR and fires, right? Which are some of the key things we do. So how do you, we will, we will figure out how to sustain you. You figure out how to win at the point of contact. I'll give you the reps in the woods and I'll make sure that the staffs get trained. But the LTP is a huge part of that. I can't do that alone. It's yep. really tough to run a CPX at home station on your own because it's really tough to protect the CPX. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the comment with multi-echelon is um, company battery troops have to learn how to fight within a battalion and brigade construct, just like brigades have to figure out how to fight within a division construct. Right, right. And in the way that the CTCs have, have evolved, um, 
in the transitional LISCO is, is brigades fighting as part of a division construct. The aviation, aviation Task Force works for the division here, 21st Airborne Division. Uh, CSSB works for the division. Constructive adjacent brigades so that yeah. the brigade can realize that it's not the only show in town, right? Uh, which is hard. Uh, but that's hard to replicate in other places. Right. Uh, that was the toughest thing to visualize for me in the last rotation is how the other brigades and our brigade nested with each other. Right. I would stare at that ops graphic for a while before I was like, that's right. That's used to the north. And because I'd be participating in the targeting dialogue, fighting for stuff in the ATO cycle. And I'd be like, which which unit is Hammer Six from? Like yeah. why yeah. does Ace keep stealing all of them? <laughs> yeah, you know? that's right. Right. And why do they speak for 45 <laughs> minutes on the radio just to get yeah, just yeah. to get one more cast sortie. It, it, you know, but it's this is the you know the the time component of, right mm -hmm. is we're fighting as a brigade as part of a division that you know the time is not all ours we have to share that time with others and right. i think that that scales like companies realizing that you know battalions and brigades have problems they got to solve too mm -hmm. um it's good um so you know you and i spoke uh a, you know reminiscent about our experience at hki and, and i think we both uh, took away lessons from JRTC that really became apparent <clears throat> having to do this, um, you know, execute the operations process deployed. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I was incredibly grateful for having had that. I, I very much remember, uh, in Afghanistan on very little sleep last summer, uh, feeling, um, very humbled and very appreciative of the investment that the army had made in, in the organization, but in me personally, right. uh, to prepare me. Uh, for what was a, a really difficult experience. Um, but the exhaustion and the frustration and the challenges with moving a brigade from point A to point B, um, that in and of itself uh, had, I learned a ton from that. Uh, right. Of of where I needed to be sharper and the guidance I gave, where I needed to, to do a better job supervising execution and enabling subordinates to be successful. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in hearing from your perspective, like what you took away from JRTC that was reinforced uh, last summer in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's so, I think even while we were at HKIA, I was already in my head thinking like, cause we, we were pretty fresh out of the CTC, maybe three months. Um, I was already in my head thinking, this is just like a JRTC rotation or an NTC rotation. And, and like, I could see the, like, the reasons that the compare how the comparisons were there um i think there's five things that really made our experience there um like a ctc rotation and and by the way like i agree um that send me attitude like if anyone has to do this let it be me let it be our unit right that confidence comes from what we do here or ntc or jmrc right like you create units that have that elan if it's got to be somebody, we got this, right? Put me on IRF one. Um, so it was a blessing to be there is, is you know, is, is chaotic and tragic as it sometimes was. Um, so here, so I have like a list of five things that I think and I'll just run through them. And, but uh, we can we can improv this as much as you want. But the, the first one has to do with something you just mentioned, with, which is deployment. All right. So the way that you build combat power is uh, creates a path dependence. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're coming into the JRTC in a Jaron mode drop zone by an airborne assault, an air assault, or a ground assault convoy. At some point, you're going to put on rails a PVL, an order of movement. And at a certain degree, that becomes irreversible. 
right? And so as combat power builds, that tail wags the dog. So how you arrive on the battlefield is going to drive how you allocate the economy of force. And so as the unit transitions um, from, you know, from event to event, you're sort of stuck with the way you arrived. And it's kind of hard to untie that knot, right? As the end state shifts, you're untying a knot you created at the beginning. Um, so, I, you know, you see this at the JRTC all the time. If you're coming up with an airborne PVL and you've got sustainment assets and you've got protection assets and you've got combat assets, right? The way that you balance those out on arrival, it's an irreversible decision. And you'll, and you'll you know, if you rob Peter to pay off Paul up front, you're going to feel it later in battles that you didn't even anticipate. And so I, I think that the way, you know, units should think about this, the path dependence of a PVL or how you build combat power is, you know, you, you have to um, try to get it right up front. And a way to get it right is to, one, make it build in some flexibility. And two, don't mess with it. Like, don't manipulate it once it's built, because the Air Force, if you're dependent upon the Air Force, that's not going to work. You'll create I mean, damage to the... Yeah, I mean, yeah. even rotary wing. I mean, aerosol. Sure, There's yeah. a point at which if, once you start changing... Right it, ideas are over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in ground assault convoy, because you're going you're yeah. gonna to confuse people. Right. And, and you're going you're gonna to double the knot. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe the last thing, like the, a great mitigator, is whatever flexibility that you do build into it, you got to have a, the right leader um, at the departure area that's part of that push. Or you have to be very clean and clear with your higher headquarters that, you know, your, that's your division's job, right? You're, you're, um, you're, our, for us, it's the ADSB. Is the ADSB going to control the departure airfield or are we going to control it? The way we fight, the division does that and we're thankful for that because you never want to leave like the BSB commander at the departure area for four days feeding you combat power when you need that leader on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think something else that's interesting there, and we've been having some of these dialogues here, is, um, you know, every unit in the Army, probably, especially if you've been in the rapid deployment game, like, has the model, mm -hmm. right? But the model changes <clears throat> based off of the context of, of the problem that you're going to solve. And so the model is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. But then we've got to do, we actually have to do the military decision-making process right. to, to challenge it. Right. And if you know the joint force or you know your rotor wing partner well, you know when you can manipulate things and when you have to stop. Yeah. Right. And just ride that ruck in. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's uh, it's crazy, right? I mean, in this, the time constraint, sometimes you you are riding in the model mm -hmm. uh, based on on the joint force. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and we're looking at, at how we do it here now within a division construct and, mm -hmm. and how we can do it in a way, um, to your point of uh, who's pushing us yeah. um, to some extent. Um, all right. And then uh, what's your second one? Um, the evacuation to Kabul had distinct transitions. For us, you know, it was deployment and chaos, then established security. Then we became an evacuation team. Um, and then there was the exfil. Right? These are all distinct transitions that no one knew the moment that we departed, um, other than deployment. And so you have to you have to train and develop a staff that can help you analytically spot the transitions 
Um, and, you, and you have to you have to develop a set of relationships between commanders so that you unlock their intuition when it comes to spotting these intuitions. Because our doctrine says, you know, the, you make decisions in two ways, analytically and intuitively. And, you know, the staff is kind of the Spock and the commanders are kind of Kirk. And but like as you train here or at home, like you you get you have to get good at seeing transitions and spotting them, because if you can't anticipate them, just like here at the JRTC anywhere in combat, um, you'll be doing your job as a staff, right? Yeah, and, um, you know, in those transitions, I mean, they're always hard. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think back to, uh, you know, one, one of the ones I had here as a battalion commander, a company had dug in really, really well, and it took me, like, a couple hours to get them moving again, and the, the company commander said, you know, I found him, he, he was moving, and he's like, well, sir, I'm, I'm really sorry, but it was the sunk cost of the E-tool. Like, we dug great fighting positions and tried to convince ourselves, like, why not to go back on the offense? Right, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. it, you know, and so there is an acknowledgement with most of these transitions, either you're gonna happen to the transition or the transition's gonna happen to you. Right. And, yeah. um, and we definitely want to be in the place that we're, we have, we're on the front foot. We have initiative with driving these transitions. Yeah. And I think what, what we learned here and learned in HKI or saw in HKI was you have to have a cop, right? You have to have comms, right? Part of your cop is probably your battle rhythm. Um, if you have those ingredients, then the Spock side or the staff side can help you see the transitions. But the other thing is you have to have presence. I remember early on in HKI, you came into the aviation talk and, and you were like, everyone, everyone that's a commander has to get out there and see this and be a part of this, right? You know, luckily we had a, a slew of them out, but the more presence there was at the point of the problem, the easier it was to spot the solution space. Right. Yeah. Um, so presence really matters because some that intuitive feel, the fingertip feel for a commander comes out there in the woods. Doesn't. I, yeah, I um, I, I definitely. Um, it, you know, that that experience, um, particularly the night of the 17th, like really drove that for me mm -hmm. and and seeing um, where commanders were on the ground. And, you know, not only their ability to communicate what the problem was, what the challenges were, mm -hmm. but really inspire mm -hmm. uh, through personal example. Right. Uh, action. And, um, you know, and there's the reverse inspiration that happens, too. Right. Yeah, right. I, I couldn't wait to get out every time I went out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely true. And, um, you know, and I, it, it, for me, I mean, see, seeing that, seeing the difference that battalion commanders uh, in particular mm -hmm. made uh through their presence through their action uh to drive action but also then to be able to very rapidly because of their experience communicate to senior leaders what was happening uh, recommendations uh framed in terms of risk and opportunity yeah i thought it was pretty powerful yeah and uh and seeing them in the crowd right wading into that crowd and then you look up and you see there's captain so-and-so there's blackheart six right there's the delta company commander all right we're holding we, yep. can, we can make this transition. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah. And so the uh, back to your second point there, uh, the common operating picture or the, I guess the third, we talked transitions, the common operating picture. Um, you know, it's always a struggle at, at the combat uh, training centers and because um, it's hard. Right. Because there's a technical component to it. Yeah. Um, but there's also the component of, you know, how how often do we touch it? Mm -hmm. uh, how how stale <clears throat> do we allow it to get? You know, it can't be real time all the time. Um, but 
but that common operating picture um, helps us understand where the risk is, uh, where those, as you brought up, where the transitions are occurring. Um, but it also lets us know like the opportunities, you know, that are available. And we got decision makers sure. in the case of HKIA, you know, the common operating picture is very much, was very much feeding senior leaders. Right. Um, and, you know, help to frame well, what's in the art of the possible based on number of aircraft and the flow of aircraft and the number right. of pers- you know, right. human beings remaining uh, on the ground. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but the, and, it, and I think it changes over time. I mean, and that was one of the things that you and I talked about. I mean, what that common operating picture needed to be, what information was most important, right. um, wasn't the same in uh, the, uh, you know, chaos and security phase as it was in the evacuation phase. Right, exactly. We were, we were, we were following different metrics, right? Yeah. You know, numbers of convoys, numbers of evacuees, numbers of Americans versus, right, do we have a secure, has this section of the air, airfield secure? Is this section of the airfield secure? Like, are we ready for air trafficking, right? But, but to me, like, I always reverse engineer, and this is the hardest thing about the last rotation here, is like our combo just failed. Um, and it's not for want of like good people or good equipment. It's just, it's hard. Um, the, uh, so, but if, so I really believe if you can, can at least communicate, um, then you can get your cop going, right? You can always reach down through communications or presence and kickstart someone into making sure they understand what's important to the cop. Yeah. I, you know, with, with cop or with <clears throat> uh, communications, I mean, one of the things I've observed is, um, you know, for the S6s out there, we love you. Um, and it, it's not all you. I mean, right. what I, what I found as a battalion commander and then a brigade commander and then observed as a task force senior and now the cog is the, you know, the, the S six is the technical component of this, the S three in terms of the allocation of resources, task organization mm-hmm. orders, and then the XO, uh, with timelines, battle rhythm and maintenance. And those, those three duty positions together, particularly at the battalion and brigade level, really drive whether or not we're going to have communications. It's right. really easy to like blame the S6. Right. But it's if, never, yeah, it's never that. Yeah. It's never that easy. Yeah. I mean, if the XO hasn't prioritized prime movers or generators and we shouldn't be surprised. Right. And, or if you don't see yourself through comics in the first place, yeah. like, how can you blame your six? Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I do think those comics and those rehearsals go a long way mm-hmm. to, to success here. Um, all right. And then, so that gets us to, uh, you know, the PVL being the pathway of dependency, uh, transitions, common operating picture. Here's number three, constant injects, right? And here it's from the ops group. Um, and HK, it was from reality, right? But there were all these sub transition sort of things that were like the crisis of the moment or the problem of the moment that just surfaced, right? They're hard to see coming. And in these cases, you know, it's not it's not good analytical staff work that's going to win you. It's going to be the right leaders on the ground um, that have been well trained and that you can trust um, that and who understand your commander's intent. Right. So like, it doesn't matter if it's 500 people just busted through Southgate or there's a counterattack that just materialized down here. That's a, a local counterattack. These things are going to happen so fast that the staffs aren't going to help with the win. But if you've got the right people at the point of contact and they understand your commander's intent and they they're competent and you can trust them, like they'll they'll figure it out. But there was like nonstop injects. 
the day of 10 bad injects today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No, I, I absolutely. And, um, you know, my observation, I mean, I had the same observation, uh, coming back with the, the 10th mountain team. Um, and you know, the thing that humbled me, um, uh, and really should inspire us about, uh, the army that we're fortunate to give a part of is the degree to which y- young soldiers and leaders on the ground, uh, being incredibly disciplined mm-hmm. with a bias, towards action yeah. for the purpose. Right. Like it's irreplaceable. Yeah. Right. Um, you can't bottle and sell that. You got to no, make it. You right? got to make it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, um, the, the team from third brigade, um, you know, at, at the embassy, I, I was humbled watching squad leaders and team leaders. Um, you know, I go back to, it's the discipline It's mm-hmm. people in the right uniform doing the right things. It, they right. put themselves in a position where they got a chance right. uh, to get those wins. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, li- and likewise, uh, you know, paratrooper soldiers, Marines, airmen, um, you know, the individual actions, they matter and they make a difference. Yeah. And, and the character, amazing. yeah, the yeah. character component of this. Um, and we got to get, you know, that, and I do think that's one of the things about uh, the CTCs is this, this high stress environment that gives us opportunities uh, in adver- with adversity, right, um, to solve problems and right. to win at the point of contact. And we're actually doing this today at LTP, right? So the new thing at LTP is you get to, you know, come up with your original plan, and then they put you in the rapid decision making and synchronization process where you have to turn on a dime something, right? Yeah. And in the doctrine, it describes, you know, an adjustment decision is the last conversation we just had about things that you do with your transitions, big transitions that units and commanders and staffs have to help with. To me, this point about, you know, these leaders at the point of contact, contact the doctrine would say that they're doing execution decisions, right? Where you're empowering them, right? And I want to, I don't want to turn this into a mission command yeah. discussion because, well, actually that might go viral then if we make it about mission command. Right. <laughs> but um, it really is about um, creating a, a, a strata of leaders at the point of contact that you know can handle the execution decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll dive into the mission command for a minute. I mean, I think as we talk about one of the things that we're constantly, we constantly underrating that is the degree at which it requires a high level of competence. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. experience. And yeah. so, you know, we need staff sergeants that are doctrinally really good. We need mm-hmm. platoon leaders that are, are really, really good and have done it a bunch of times on a grassy open field before they're having to do it. Reps, 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 reps. right. And homework. Because you yeah. just mentioned that, right? If you, The doctrine's got to be there. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's what we know we're deviating from, um, for sure. Um, all right. And so, you know, the other one that you talked about earlier is, you know, this aggregation of wins. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, what, what's your, what's your kind of view on that from how you saw that here at JRTC and then trying to build on that? Yeah. Everything here at the JRTC is industrial scale destruction and fighting. Everything at HKI was industrial scale evacuation. And, and there's so, you know, the only way you win is for everyone to win. There's, like I said earlier, like no one, no single commander, no one's the Julius Caesar or the Alexander the Great it combined arms maneuver the way we fight now, right? So, every, so every, everyone that has a critical role or everyone that even doesn't have a critical role, they have, they have to be trained and they have to win. Um, and that's not that there's luck there. Units that train harder and have high standards create that luck. 
right? No, yeah. So that's, that's, people like to say, well, it was a miracle that you got the 31 August. I'm like, that's an insult, right? To 2,000 paratroopers and hundreds of 10th Mountain Division soldiers. Like this, this was a team of teams where everyone got their win. And that aggregation of wins is what pulled it off. But it's not always the case here. Yeah. So hard here. Yeah. No, I mean, a, a lot of, to pull on there. I mean, one, it reminds me of like the, the you know, the, the story attributed to, uh, you know, uh, President Kennedy walking through at NASA and, you know, runs into the janitor and asks the generator, what do yeah. you do here? Well, I'm putting a man on the moon, sir. Yeah, right? I love it. And in a BCT, right? Yeah. Like the rope you. That's and, right. And the, I was doing PT, you know, a couple months ago. <laughs> and I, um, the company commander pointed out a, a trooper and said something really cool about him. So I went over and said, hey, I said, what do you do? I was asking what his MOS was, like what yeah. his duty position was. He goes, I jump out of airplanes and bring people freedom, sir. <laughs> I, I like, love yes. it. I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote his mom a letter and sent her a coin. He was like, I love it. And that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that and that absolutely, uh, you know, that's it. And uh, and those ethos is yeah. because it, yeah, and I'm, I think the second part of kind of what you said is you 100% make your own luck. And you get opportunities, I think, here at the CTCs and the Friction Factory to get reps at, at, at hitting the sled really hard mm -hmm. to get practice at making your own luck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. And it's some of it's very technical work. Some of it's work that can be done sloppily, but still succeed. But it's, it's the, it's the mountain of work. That's got to, you know, the sum of the parts yeah, that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And this idea of an industrial, you know, scale, right. I mean, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, w with with what we know, you know, or we think we're going to have to do in large scale combat operations. I mean, it's the it's the ability to do it. Shoot here, mass effects. Yeah. Again and again and again. Right. Uh, because I think you know, the reality is, you know, it's going to be an away game. We're going to be outnumbered. Um, and that and that's just the nature. We have to make it all work. We right. got to make it all work. Um, and you know, American people uh, rightfully expect us. Uh, to bring home, you know, as many of their sons and daughters as we possibly can. That's right. That means we're doing this at industrial, yeah, industrial scale. And, and we're doing it. And this is the fifth point, the last point. We're doing it under conditions of extreme fatigue, stress-induced and sleep and, and induced by a lack of sleep. That was that's yeah. the other thing that you know the evacuation to Kabul was just like a CTC rotation, and that we were chronically fatigued and we were making decisions from a place of fatigue. Right. And so I think the way we, we learn to mitigate that here, this is the same way we had to mitigate it there, is you have to have depth in your staff. You have to have enough people that you know who to shut down at what time so you've got sharp people on point all the time. Commanders don't have that option and CSMs don't really have that option. So like commanders just have to be smart about, all right, if I'm going to average three to four hours of sleep a night, then at some point I'm going to have to shut down for 45 minutes in the mid middle of the day when there's space because you can't go 15 days um, on empty. It doesn't work. You make dumb decisions, right? Yeah, um, so you're in the box all the time. No, absolutely. And I mean, I you know, I had a conversation uh, uh, there uh, with a battalion commander, and the look on his face and the company commander's face of where I was clearly not making sense. I was like, well, you know, "What are you? What are you not getting about this?" <laughs> yeah. and they're like. Look at each other. Right. Like, what I'm not getting about it is I'm functionally drunk because I'm slow sleep deprived. Right. Well, yeah. It was me. They're oh. like, they're like, they're like, hey, sure, like yeah. I, I don't want to be like rude, but like, you're kind of like my drunk uncle right now. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, and I did. I was like, 
Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And uh, good on that leader for having the candor to be like, you probably need to shut down for a minute. hundred percent. Yeah. And I like did, I, I, I grabbed my Wooby out of my assault pack and curled <laughs> up in the corner of a building and I went to sleep for yeah. three and a half yeah. hours yeah. until I could get up and, and communicate clearly and, and, and make good decisions. And mm -hmm. I absolutely experienced that. I mean, I, you know, you, after my rotation here, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I curled up in a ball in the mud, uh, after, uh, the, the final, uh, yeah. the final attack that we did as soon as they called the uh, attack freeze. I mean, yeah. I, I went to yeah. sleep on the ground. Right, uh, right there. My favorite meme that I made in the last rotation was it was like a two part meme. It was the S2 and the S3 for the brigade on the aircraft in parachutes, leaning over the comm system, like commanding, you know, doing their thing. <laughs> right, this majors, right? And then two days later, it's them like completely collapsed on each other on, under a Wooby in the plan suit, right? Yeah. And, and your comment about that depth, right, is I think hugely key. <clears throat> I mean, you you can't do this with just your starters. That's not what right. wins championships, right? right? And so building the depth of the bench, um, those captains that can pick up and carry the weight for some of the majors. Mm -hmm. And then frankly, it's it's turning our non-commissioned officers. Yeah. And uh and, and not just non-commissioned officers, right? I, I joked about the the specialists uh, that you know crushed it as a one here in rotation. Like they're out there, yeah. they're capable of doing this. Um we got probably something we need to be cognizant of cognizant of as an army is where this one gap in our swing is and it's co-ops because there was this time when we can rely on so many of our leaders understanding the basics of running a co-ops floor because they had done it for months on end in combat well that generation are now battalion commanders and above so when you deploy a unit to the field ctc or to combat the uh the expertise that you can count on that's already baked into the dna it's just not there and so you've got to focus on co-ops reps Oh, I completely yeah. agree. And I think um, we do a pretty good job and a lot of our PME drives towards uh, planning. Exactly, right. Um, yeah. And co-ops is really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, we got smart people, great people, but how are we giving them the right reps mm -hmm. at current operations? Because it's that co-op space where commanders make all their decisions, yeah. the hard ones. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think of it as crew in a ship. You know, it's we've never sent a squad out and send a pickup team squad to go do a squad live fire at night. Right. And they're like, oh, that's like fraught with peril. We shouldn't do that. Right. Um, but we have a tendency to do this with our current operations force. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and well, it, there's this challenge that we have when there's not 52 weeks in a year is yeah. the higher echelon you're trying to train, the less reps, it, the harder it is to give them the reps. Yeah. Right. You can train squads constantly. You can, training battalions is way harder. Training a brigade is way harder. That's why it's a blessing we get to come back a, a second time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my my advice to you coming in is, you know, in the outload, mm -hmm. set up the command post, run run Writing the current operations, yeah. right? And then in in um, you know in RSY, you know, echelon our command post, set up our command post, fight our command post as part of RSY. We got to warn start it, yeah. or you're going to pull a hamstring. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've done it both ways. Uh, I did it live as a battalion commander. It was not awesome. It was not fun. As a brigade commander, I think I got a little bit more right, a little bit more warm start, mm -hmm. um, and it, it eased in the transition. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, but I've hey. Never, I've never left the Ruba for a CTC. I've never LD'd out of a Ruba with a pace plan that was working. <laughs> Right. We're going to fix that. We're going to fix that. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And so for the team out there, we're going to come back to you 
uh, with a version two of this uh, after we fight here in Arnland yeah. uh, with the Devils. And so uh, any any closing comments from you? It was just great spending time with your staff here at LTP. And I can't wait to see you in November. The whole Devil Brigade is ready to fight. Yeah. I, uh, so uh, I'll close out. You know, I've been blessed to get to serve, uh, never assigned to the Devils, but served with the Devils uh, three times. Uh, and, and very blessed to be with this great team. Excited to see all the awesome people on your team, um, you know, back here. I mean, it felt like, you know, homecoming weekend in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, really appreciate your enthusiasm and positivity. And, uh, and I would leave you. I think it's awesome. You know, you, I think you've got the right uh, mindset, you know, as I, as I talk with folks on your team, uh, an aggressive mindset, a confident mindset, uh, but a humble mindset as well. I mean, sure. there's, there's not arrogance. It's, it's a real um, uh, confidence, but, but tempered with the reality of how hard this is, which I think is great. And I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, you guys are absolutely going to get some wins in here and uh, we're rooting for you guys to aggregate all those wins to be doing at industrial yeah. scale. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Thanks for your time all the way. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash c-a-l-l don't forget to like subscribe and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future the crucible the jrtc experience is a product of the joint readiness training center